0: Once again, I'm excited to have Dr. Wally Goddard with us here on the podcast. If you haven't listened to the last podcast, I know I say this all the time, you really need to go back and listen to the introduction that I did with Wally, give you a little bit more of the backstory of how I know him and just some of the amazing things that he's done in his career and his life. I'll give you the short version right now. He is a retired professor of family life, both from University of Arkansas and Auburn, Alabama. And he's developed so many programs on parenting, marriage, youth development, family relationships, and it's just a creative force with books and programs. And he's even just recently published a children's book called God's Trophies. And he's been a, the longest-serving columnist on Meridian Magazine, which is an LDS online magazine, and has written some fantastic resources on relationships, marriage, family. And he's also co-authored several books, Drawing Heaven into Your Marriage, Soft-Spoken Parent, between parent-child and others and he was also brought out to Provo to help Stephen Covey write Seven Habits of Highly Effective Families and his greatest pride and joy of course is his wife, his family, He's, he's been married to Nancy for almost 50 years, they have three adult children, 14 grandkids and they've actually cared for and to over 20 foster kids and they've loved on and cared for countless others including my wife and myself and our children and just super grateful for just the impact he's had on our lives and the lives of so many people and just grateful to have you with us here, Wally, today on the podcast.
1: Glad to know you, Jeff. Good to be with you. So
0: last episode, we talked about happiness. And again, if you haven't had a chance to listen to that, we talk about the blueprint for happiness, which is based on the research, positive psychology research, and just fantastic information. And Wally and I had a great discussion about just how to start implementing those things in very, just really pragmatic ways. And so today we're going to switch gears and talk about a little more focused conversation just around compassion and marriage, especially when there's been betrayal. This is a challenge for couples, especially when there's been betrayal. I've sat with people for 20 plus years in my practice and, and recognize how terrifying it can be to feel like they, you know, they know they need to forgive. They know that compassion is the right thing to do but yet they're just so scared that this is going to enable or it's going to let somebody off the hook or even cause more damage and especially when there's been lying and manipulation and even abuse and so this idea of extending this back to their partner often doesn't feel safe of course and so i want to talk today about where can there be a place for compassion if it is something that we know is good for our health we know that it's good for our spirits we know that it it moves us forward and forgiveness but sometimes these can be just thrown out as directives, and people feel guilty, or they feel you know manipulated by this, and and it can be so challenging. So I really would love to dive into a discussion today with you, Wally, just about you know the truths about compassion, the doctrine of compassion, and really how it can fit into our lives. And hopefully, as you're listening today, my friends, I hope that you can find a place where this might be able to fit into your life, wherever you are in your process. So, Wally, let's jump in. Where would you like to start with this, as far as talking about compassion? I know you're currently working on a book on the subject. And you're writing and thinking a lot about this right now.
1: So where should we start? You know, Jeff, one of my favorite places is to start with the greatest story about compassion ever told. It's the story of the Good Samaritan. And we've referenced that before. But I think we underappreciate the message in the story. It's really the story of all of us as we come from a high place to this low place, this fallen place on earth. And so we have a person unidentified going from Jerusalem to Jericho, Jerusalem the holy city to Jericho, the lowest inhabited place on the earth at the time at five hundred feet below sea level. And so that really describes our journey from heaven to this earth that's fallen and feels way below sea level. So along that journey, the person who's traveling is not identified, and that's because it's all of us. We all have bring our own characteristics we should all identify with the injured man. Who in making that journey is jumped on by thieves who take away his robe, everything he has, and of course in taking away his robe and stripping him, leaving him naked and half dead, that really describes our situation. We're naked. Our identity as children of God is gone as we feel so lonely here on earth, and half dead. We may be alive physically barely, but we're dead spiritually, feeling keenly that separation from God. And then comes the priest and the Levite, who are not randomly chosen. The priest and the Levite bracket the Jewish hierarchy, the priest at the top, who presides in sacred ordinances, and the Levite, who's a temple custodian. And Jesus is saying, it's not the organization you look to. You could look to the officials in in your organization, and they are not the ones who will bring ultimate compassion, healing to you. But the one who is, of course, is a hated Samaritan. And, you know, in our world, sometimes Jesus is pretty hated. We don't really look to him. We don't count on him. But Jesus comes along and he pours in wine, wine with its uh, properties, the alcohol-killing germs, but also he's pouring in his blood. He's pouring in his personal sacrifice because wine represents all that he gave to rescue us, but pouring also oil, which, which seals us off from air and blocks the pain of our injuries but also consecrates us to him. We use oil for consecrating people for sacred purposes. So he pours in and then he puts us on his beast, which has often been interpreted as his personal body. His body bears our injuries, our pain, our suffering. He, as we're taught so clearly by Alma, he really experiences every pain that we ever experience, so that his compassion would be fully informed. He does not sit back and say, oh man, that's tough. He feels it. He has felt in his flesh every pain we ever suffered, every betrayal, every hurt, every loneliness. He's felt it all. And then he carries us to the inn where he turns us over to an innkeeper. And I should say, he first stays up all night long caring for us and then turns to the innkeeper and says, when I come again, I'll pay you anything you invest in this man. And he pays two pence which is exactly the price of temple tax for a Jewish man in that era. So in a sense, Jesus is prepaying our debts to God so that we have a year ahead to heal and to grow. So if we're going to talk about compassion, I like to start by talking about Jesus, who clearly is represented by the Good Samaritan. He's the picture of compassion, who finds us injured along the road of life, and then he ministers to us in these beautiful ways but then he carries us to healing. Now, some have thought the inn and the innkeeper represent the bishop and the members of the church and the church itself, where we are left in the care of fellow saints. Now, you and I would both recognize that some people are feeling that pretty well, and some are not feeling it. But boy, so important that we find those of faith who will help us, because part of the healing, well, I'd have to say more than part of the healing, the core of the healing is getting us to Jesus. So we want to find people who know him, who can speak of him lovingly, and can help connect us wherever we are to the one who understands perfectly, loves completely, and heals perfectly. That's what we're after. So that may be a funny place to start a discussion on compassion, but for me, it's the perfect one because I really think that ultimately healing happens because we turn ourselves over to the master healer.
0: Well yeah and I, I love this, you know, I love the framework that you're setting up here because, you know, I think about, you know, when we feel a need to extend compassion to somebody, it's generally because we've been hurt. Yes, either by that person or by someone else. Like we feel like again we're the wounded a traveler along the road. And so I know in my own life when I recognize that I've been healed, that I've been bound up, that I feel that compassion again from the savior I can't show compassion to anybody else until I'm in touch with what's been done for me. Oh, wow. Yeah. Right? It's just really hard to. Yeah. Because I'm so focused on my own hurting, my own wounding that (laughs) I just don't have the room for it. Yeah. Beautifully said. feels premature. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I have a specific incident of that, Jeff. I know a time in my life when I felt really stupid and messed up and like my life had taken some bad turns and I just was really licking my wounds, feeling sorry for myself And because I have been taught to turn to Jesus, I found a place to be alone. And I I called on Heavenly Father. and I said, okay, look, I've really tried to do what's right and tried to do good things. And everything's busted. Everything's broken. Everything fell apart. What's up with that? Now, I would have expected that a normal human would come to me and say, well, you brought it on yourself, dummy. You brought this on yourself. You've done these silly, ridiculous things that got you where you are today in terms of suffering and feeling alone. But that's not what happened. Instead, I felt like, and of course, God didn't show up physically that I know of, but he showed up emotionally. And, and I felt in my mind and heart his counsel. I felt him loving me and saying, well, let me talk to you about how important it is to be wise and to honor covenants and to do what's right. And son, I love you. And what's funny, Jeff, As if anyone in the planet had had that conversation with me, but God, I probably would have felt some chafing, some resistance, but I didn't. I felt like he loved me. I felt like he really, he taught me while he loved me and neither got ahead of the other. They were in perfect synchrony, his teaching and his loving. And wow, healing really moves along when you're being loved so fully, so completely while being taught. Now, I'm not saying that that perfectly describes what everybody ought to do. All I'm saying is that it perfectly describes for me that our faithful friend is the one who can heal us. And whatever our injuries and however much of that we brought on ourselves, regardless of the circumstances, there is one faithful friend who can move us forward.
0: Yeah, and to experience something like that, you're not the same afterwards. I know for me, I felt the same. I've had those same experiences in my life, Wally, as well, where you know, I was hoping nobody saw what happened and <laughs> just really feeling pretty embarrassed and, you know, overwhelmed. And I felt that exact balance of, it reminds me of what Haim Ganat taught, you know, that so beautifully where he says that with children, we are permissive with emotions and feelings, but we're strict with behavior. Yeah, That perfect balance of justice and mercy, that perfect balance of, boy, you know, you're really hurting and I'm right here for you. But, you know- We're also not just going to act like there aren't laws that keep us in check, Yeah. right?
1: And of course, he is so incredibly hopeful because he knows that he has the power to heal us and all we really have to do ultimately is turn our lives over to him. Now, obviously, that doesn't mean that we just say, okay, I accept your help and then all our work's done. It's a process, isn't it? It's a lifelong process in which we, we subject our pride, our independence, our contrariness Little by little, we give him more territory, more property, more ocean frontage in our hearts. And as we do, he beautifies it.
0: Yeah. I know in your, your book, The Frightful and Joyous Journey, which I think was your first book, wasn't it, Wally? Uh-huh. Yeah, it Yeah. Was. I remember a story in there you told when you were serving as a bishop where a young woman came in and mm. just didn't want to make room for Jesus in her life, just thought that was the dumbest idea on the planet or that there was no way he'd, he'd want to be in her house. It was pretty messy. And can you tell that story, Wally? I, that okay. one has st- stayed with me through the years. I just love it.
1: Yeah, there's a young woman who came to me and said, said "You know I've made a total mess of my life. I've just really I've just really wiped it out. I've broken all the commandments and I've, I know that he has no interest in helping me." And I said, "So tell me more." And she said, "Well, every once in a while, I feel him knocking on the door of my life. I just feel like he's standing outside my apartment and he's knocking and he wants in. And I, and of course, I smiled inside. And I said to myself, that's great. But I asked her, so how do you respond to that knocking, to that invitation? And he said, well, I go to the door and I yell at him, get out of here, leave me alone. I don't need someone busting into my house and yelling at me and chewing me out and telling me how stupid I am and how many mistakes I've made. I don't need that kind of help. I got problems already without someone chewing on me, especially someone like him. <laughs> and, and I thought, yeah. These are our God images, aren't they, Jeff? That we we have an idea of how God is and how he deals with us. And we imagine that he's going to come in and chew us out and say, clean up this place, it's a mess. And how did you ever get in such bad shape? And so we talked and this young woman said to me, she said, Wally, so do you have any recommendations for me? And I said, yeah, yeah, I do. And it's funny, Jeff, because I think one of the trademarks of inspiration is you say something you never would have thought of. Right, right. And, and I said to her, I said, hey, my recommendation is next time you hear that next time you hear that knocking, I suggest you go to the door and say, look, I'll make a deal with you. You can come in. If you go right to the linen closet and I close the door on you, you can stay there for five minutes. I mean, this is a step maybe in the right direction. I'll give you five minutes in the linen closet and then you're out of here and you don't go around chewing me out and making fun of the way I take care of my place, my spiritual life. And she looked at me aghast and said, I cannot say that to him. <laughs> and I said, I actually think that's not as bad as what you're currently saying to him, where you tell him to take off and leave you alone. And she says, I, I just can't do it. And I said, okay. And so she came back to my office another, I don't know, it was a week or two later. And she stepped in the doorway and said, you have a minute? And I said, yeah. She was very sober, very serious. And so she came in my office, closed the door behind her and sat in a chair. And she said, it happened. And I said, what happened? She said, he came to the door again and he knocked. And I decided to try what you said. So she said, I told him, you can come in and spend five minutes, but you have to stay in the linen closet. I don't want your wandering around the house causing trouble. And she said, and by the way, my branch president told me to say that. So it's his fault if you don't like it. And so she said, he came in. And I said, what was that like? And she just sat there for a long time and finally said, why didn't anyone tell me? Why didn't anyone tell me? Why didn't anybody tell me that when Jesus comes in, he loves you and he lifts you and he teaches you, he embraces you and lifts you off the ground. This is not the guy who wanders around saying, you're going to fail your apartment check. You are a mess. That's not what he does. He's the healer, not the accuser. It is Satan whose name means accuser. It is Jesus who's declared himself to be our advocate, who is pleading our cause before Father, the details of which he gives in the Doctrine and Covenants. So I think that story was a surprise for her and it was a blessing to me to see that, yeah, when our life I mean she had said to me, I think I've broken all the commandments, and and she just felt ashamed and embarrassed and burdened. And she never expected that Jesus was going to come in and just lift her and love her. So, you know, some people who probably are listening to us today, Jeff, feel like, well, I'm not the one who broke all the commandments. But maybe the start of compassion is to realize that Jesus would also do that for the people who have offended us. He would do it for us and help us heal our injuries. He's willing to do it for the other people who have caused us so much pain. He's a healer. And maybe when we have personally felt his compassion, and then reflect on his compassion for others who have not been very kind to us, maybe you can start a healing process.
0: Yeah. That part is so important. And I think I know in my own life and at the people that I, again, have talked to over the years, I think there's this fear that if what I hear you saying, Wally, is you're not saying rush rush to just jump right back into a relationship with that person. Rush to like extend that compassion to them and get yourself back in trouble or get hurt again. What you're saying is make space for the fact that they're worthy of that healing, just like you need to be worthy, that you're worthy of that healing, that the same Jesus is going to bind them up and help put their house in order, just like he'll do with you. And in that space, each person getting their healing, there might be some sensible things that need to happen in terms of boundaries and conversations and you know things in place that are, like you said earlier, to be wise as a serpent, but harmless as a dove. And that That combination is critical. We cannot forget that we're dealing with, you know, real injuries and trust that doesn't necessarily mean that we carry on as if things never happened, but that compassion, that compassion for us, like we have to heal first before we can, before we can extend that to others. I I know in my own life, Wally, like I don't have a lot to give somebody if I haven't let Jesus in, Mm -hmm. I just don't. And if I do, it comes out of guilt or pressure, obligation, or even passive aggressiveness. (laughs) I mean, I've done it all. So this is critical. I love what you're saying.
1: And you know, Jeff, sometimes when people are deeply hurting and and they know they've been injured unfairly and they know it's just not right, sometimes they want to solve their vulnerability by keeping distance, by saying, nope, you just stay a thousand miles away from me. I want nothing to do with you. No contact, no communication. And, I, and there probably is a time when that's necessary during the early stages of healing. But I think what Jesus recommends instead of distance, that we use strength, that we use not only our own, but his. And we use wisdom, the very wisdom you were talking about a moment ago, where we say, you know, I, I think we're ready for a better conversation than we've ever had before. And it's not going to be the angry conversation where every, where, every time we talk, I'm going to tell you what an idiot you are. Rather, it's the kind of conversation where Maybe we go out to dinner together and uh, we talk about what a good life is for you or what your best memories of childhood are. And we get acquainted in some new ways that we haven't before that we thought we were well acquainted, but we've really focused on our pain and not focused on our hopes and dreams. And somebody might start to panic and say, I don't want to be back in relationship with that person. And if there's been certain betrayal and there's safety issues. I'm not saying you move them right into your bedroom. I am saying maybe you allow room to be an assistant to Jesus as a healer, to be open to healing them, helping heal them, not in the spirit of rescuing, but in the spirit of having compassion for them.
0: Yeah, because I think that sometimes there's a fear that compassion means access to you and harming you, right? Like it just feels like, well... It's proximity, or it's gonna. I'm gonna. I'm gonna be taken advantage of or exploited, and I think some people rush into, maybe perhaps, going too fast or allowing someone too close too soon if they don't understand that principle. Because I think it's absolutely possible to extend compassion to somebody from a safe working distance if you need to. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Because it's a condition of your heart. It's making space for them as a as a fellow traveler.
1: Yes. Yes. And of course. The great precondition for that is that we have had some healing from Jesus ourselves.
0: Hundred percent.
1: And and when we've got that, then we want to heal. You know, we want to help Him with healing others, and especially if we don't stack up and inventory our grudges. Those are real, and they ought to make us wiser, but not bitterer. And that's the challenge: to get greater wisdom and not more bitterness.
0: Yeah. No. Absolutely.
1: Yeah. And I and I think that
0: I think that with. You know, allowing ourselves to be healed first, it really puts us in a position where it just sort of makes sense to extend that. Once, right, once we're filled with that, I know that in my own life, it's like compassion. Receiving His compassion is not an end unto itself; it's expansive.
1: Yes, yes, for sure, it's
0: expansive. Yeah, it changes us, and we. And it's interesting. My my wife's uncle passed away a couple years ago, and he had had lived a life where he picked a lot of fights and was somebody who just didn't have good relationships with a lot of people and he had never married never had children he just was you know he was an intense person and, and just really burned a lot of bridges and he on his deathbed he had cancer and on his deathbed he had had a vision yeah he was in the hospital and he believes it was triggered by a reaction to some medication but he ended up going to a division that he was very he was very lucid during the during this vision and he realized as he was being filled with all this light, that he was, he says, he was, I realized that I'm indestructible because I'm made of light. Um, like that God, like built me out of light and intelligence and nobody can hurt me. And so it made him, it get, when he came out of it and, and he had a few months to live, he immediately began going and extending compassion and love and forgiveness and asking for forgiveness and asking to repair and went on a two or three month journey to just own it and repair and heal because he felt bulletproof. He felt totally impenetrable because of that love, that light, that that power. He says, nobody can diminish me. He felt just filled with that and it really moved me. And I've I've drawn on that many times when I feel afraid to extend love or I feel really hurt or I worry that I'm gonna get hurt. Boy, we're just made of a material that can't be destroyed.
1: (laughs) And of course the flip side of that, Jeff, is often we strike out at people because we feel so vulnerable. Yeah. Feel so useless, so failed, so imperfect. And sometimes we even exaggerate other people's faults because somehow we find comfort in our own brokenness and seeing others broken. And we may exaggerate their brokenness to comfort us about ours. And that's that's not the solution, is it? It's no. it's to connect with with the healer. Just a side note, you're probably familiar with the self compassion work by Neff. Yeah. She's she's done uh, some interesting work. And I've read her book and watched some of her videos. And I would say that I believe in having the same kind of kindness and patience with ourselves that we'd have with anyone. But I think what's missing in self-compassion is it assumes we can heal ourselves. And I don't think we can. I think ultimately, I mean, to be honest, I think we have to get to the healer. Jesus is the one who can patch us up and help us to see our eternal purpose. So Self-compassion, in my view, is just let's be patient with ourselves in this process, but let's do whatever we need to to get to the one who really knows how to heal.
0: Right. Yeah. Self-compassion, exactly. I see it the same way that it's it's a way to stop beating ourselves up, which I think is healthy. Yes. Um, but I agree that, that the deeper healing, the, the transformative experience is going to come when we see ourselves how he sees us and when we, we tap into that light, that power. And really our true identity yes I can't generate that on my own. I've tried <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah and I'm, I'm you know and I'm committed I'll, I'll go all the way with it but it's it's flawed because we don't see ourselves clearly we just can't
1: And you know Jeff I, I'm guessing that there are people we know and maybe people listening to us today who might say, look, I don't have that kind of relationship with him. I don't really trust him. I don't know him. Um, I don't really I'm not sure I believe in him. I mean, I'm sure there are people who feel that way, and I, Absolutely. I, I would say maybe we ought to start where Alma the Younger did, where he realized that he could not save himself. He realized that he was making a mess of everything. His life was in shambles, and he just got so desperate that I think he said, if I were to paraphrase, I think he said, look, I can't fix this mess. It's just too big a mess. So heal me if you can, destroy me if you must but I throw myself on your mercy. And his words were, O Jesus, thou Son of God, have mercy on me, who am in the gall of bitterness and encircled about by the everlasting chains of death. So I think desperation can be wonderfully useful if it gets us to the point of stopping our efforts to do what we cannot do, which is make ourselves right. So for those who might feel like you don't have that kind of loving relationship with Jesus right now, I'd say, well, are you willing to give it a chance? Are you willing in a moment of discouragement and desperation to say the words that Alma said and mean them? Oh, Jesus, thou son of God, have mercy on me. I got to have some help here because I can't do it. And if you can, great, but I can't keep being as miserable as I am today.
0: Yeah, no, that's that's exactly right. And I it's like, what I love about that story, what I love about that sec- section of the uh, Book of Mormon is is just how messy it is. I mean, he's just describing right before that. I mean, he's suicidal. He's, he's wanting mountains to fall on top of him. He's made a mess. He says he's the worst person on the planet.
1: And he can't Boy, imagine being brought into the presence of God.
0: Yeah. It's just like, I mean, I, I just can't. I think he describes a situation that probably most of us will never get to. I mean, it was just the darkest of darkest places. Yeah. And, and all he could do is just like literally just kind of flop on the ground and just throw himself, surrender completely. And that's, in my experience, that's when the compassion flows in.
1: We sometimes have to empty ourselves of ourselves for him to fill us up. Right. And, I mean, how else could we explain that he went from being what he described as the vilest of sinners who went about destroying the children of God to having these marvelous experiences filled with light and imagining that he was seen just as Lehi had God sitting on his throne. How can you go from one to the other in a matter of minutes or hours unless the process is to get ourselves entirely out of God's way, to empty ourselves of ourselves, our agenda, our excuses, our complaints, and just make a big opening for Jesus, for God to mm. come in.
0: And it's interesting as I'm sitting here talking about this with you, while I'm having this sort of realization that, you know, we started this episode talking about how people who have been betrayed and injured and hurt what do they do with compassion and i think that a lot of times the standard issue advice that people get from well meaning loved ones leaders you know therapists whoever the, the, the advice is to just work on compassion and forgiveness like they'll point them right to it but i love i love where this has gone which is again repeating what we've talked about that we we have to be filled with him first
1: yeah yeah
0: and we we need it even if we don't know how badly we've been injured like the fellow traveler, like you said, it's it's common humanity. We all are on the back of the donkey. We're all pretty beat up,
1: yep. bleeding, and just miserable. <laughs> yep. Even if we
0: think we're having a pretty good day, we're all. <laughs> yep. So and there's some more obvious moments, obviously, where you know, there's been a direct betrayal and it's measurable. And and you know, you remember feeling good and now you feel horrible. Yep. Those are real. And I've certainly felt that in my own life. And I know, I know that that's. A time, obviously, where we need to be emptied of ourselves and be filled with him. And I think that then this becomes the precursor then to being able to open up to the idea of compassion for this other person, again, sensibly, with wisdom in terms of protecting ourselves. But where next, Wally? Where does this go from here in a marriage or in a family relationship or in a friendship where where now we start to open up to this this other person, this other relationship and extend compassion? What does that look like? How does that happen?
1: Ah, uh, let me uh, share an experience, Jeff. I I remember sure. when I felt betrayed by a friend. I felt like it really stabbed me in the back, and I was feeling a lot of resentment. And I kind of wanted to proclaim from the housetops what a jerk he had been and what injury had done. And I knew, I knew then, and I know now, where that leads. When we really make the theme of our lives to proclaim betrayal, we get more and more bitter, more and more unhappy. So I did two things. I just said, well, you be patient with yourself, allow some time. And every time you feel that tide of resentment and frustration, hatred, fill you up, then just say, God, will you help me? Or the better words are, oh, Jesus, thou son of God, have mercy on me. But God, will you help me? Will you help me? And so I just kind of kept pushing it away. I didn't give it center stage. I didn't Make printed programs of here's Wally's resentment, and why don't you all show up and uh, applaud as I proclaim what I've suffered? Instead, I just tried to try to manage it and then wait for God's healing. The time came when I just felt a physical transformation. After weeks and weeks, it was probably months. I just felt this. Wow! I love that guy. I care about him, and I sat down and wrote a letter to him and said, "I'm sorry that we've been apart this long." and it healed the relationship now so how how do you start the healing process i'd say don't dishonor your own pain by saying it doesn't matter it does but also don't make printed programs and invite people to come as witnesses to your never ending musical about betrayal so there's a middle ground to walk there where you you manage it but then i think what we have a hard time doing i think a lot of us tend to be all or nothing. We have a hard time doing incremental development of a relationship, taking a step at a time, wise as serpents, harmless as doves. It's that wisdom piece where you you rebuild a relationship and you don't ask the person to be suddenly perfect just because they had a big discovery of their fallenness. But you do ask them if they would uh, maybe be more honest with you or maybe not tell you lies or use certain maladaptive ways of coping with their mistakes. And so you ask for just these incremental steps and you continue to offer healing compassion. But offering compassion is not the same thing as forgetting what you've already learned from the pain. So keeping those two in balance, the lessons that you've learned, the wisdom together with compassion and it allows us to do what i think um, only god does perfectly when yeah. when he looks at each of us and loves us in spite of our mistakes and shows us compassion in spite of our rather unpromising trajectories
0: i love that it feels really that just feels right on it feels wise to me and it balances perfectly that that need to honor your story what you've been through and what you can learn from it and to also use those as ways to maybe Make wise decisions and navigate sometimes a really treacherous situation. But I love I love also that there we, we can also pair that with making room for the other person to change if right, or to understand a little bit better about their story. I've seen miracles happen in my office where once there's been some safety established, once things are calm and and both people are are settled down and there's been some real demonstration of commitment and desire to, to change. After that, and again, that's a precursor, you have to have those conditions, but in that space, just opening up and starting to care about somebody else's experience, not from a place of excuses or, or whatever, but just to start to understand, I think that that's what God does. I think that he knows us perfectly and he understands, like Elder Maxwell says, you know, the perfect balance of opportunities and limitations and our weaknesses and our struggles, and he understands the whole backstory, and that's where he can offer perfect compassion to us. Yes amen. because he sees all of that, right and I just I just love in relationships when we can access that stuff because to me that's where the real compassion starts to happen. Things have to settle down to get there and sometimes and I know I, I know that in other relationships like if you and I've talked about this before, wally like where somebody maybe was abandoned by a, a parent or and never had a chance or won't have a relationship with them, but even to be able to make space and imagine what their life must have been like. yes, You know, but you're doing that from a place of safety, but you extending that changes us. And it rewrites the narrative of perhaps pinning them down as a horrible person and assuming all the worst about them, but really being in touch with their common humanity and their story and their struggle. Boy, it just opens up really so is. much healing. Yeah, for everyone. And I yeah. think, I don't know, I don't know how the... The metaphysics of it all works, but I assume it probably shoots over to them somehow too.
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. You know, Jeff, one of the biases that interests me most is one called the myth of pure evil. And in the myth of pure evil, what we tend to do is give ourselves way too much credit and our enemy way too little credit. And I think you can see that in betrayal, especially when somebody's caught off guard, they're surprised, they're devastated. You know, it's a stick of dynamite in the gut when you find out some kind of betrayal. And that's where I think the myth of pure evil serves the evil one a lot better than the holy one. When we try to make ourselves better than we are and them worse than they are. And it's not like we need to be responsible for their mistakes. But when we say, you know, uh, my spouse never really felt valued or loved or understood at home. And I get that. What they did was wrong. It was a bad decision. But the godly attitude is one of saying, let's make a space for them to grow, even as we make a space for me to heal. And I think we have to do both if we want to be Christlike.
0: Yeah. Boy, we do go there so fast, huh? The myth of pure evil. Boy, I'm guilty of that. Yeah. It's so easy just to assume the worst because, man, I think that that probably comes from maybe our own sense of fallenness as well, right? Like we just... We just all kind of circle the drain really fast, don't we? <laughs>
1: <laughs> we do. <laughs> Zooming down, yeah.
0: Oh man, it's like a race to the bottom. I know.
1: Well, and and you know, Jeff, I wonder if it's a kind of a defense mechanism when to kind of make them bad and us good. And mm-hmm. the problem is, it defeats, of course, what we've talked about—that whole idea of God has given us weakness that we may be humble, but His grace is sufficient if we. Humble ourselves and come unto him. Those are the conditions. Humble ourselves, come unto him. And humility, I think, is is not hating ourselves. It's recognizing our dependence on him. It's really a sweet gift. Humility is just such a nice place to be where we can sit, sometimes with tears in our eyes, and say, wow, look at all he is doing for me and all he has promised that he will yet do for me. That's humility. It's not Mm -hmm. sitting hating ourselves and obsessing over our mistakes.
0: Would you say, Wally, that if someone is listening to this and they're really struggling to imagine how in the world they could extend any drop or ounce of compassion to someone that's really hurt them, would you say that they probably just haven't been filled up enough with their own healing, their own, right? Would you say that like
1: it's- I I guess the way I'd say it is if I went back to our opening metaphor- Okay. When the injuries are serious and life-threatening, sometimes it takes a while. Yeah. I, like I allowed myself some weeks to just kind of resist resentment, resist it. Don't don't start watering and fertilizing the resentment. Don't let the mm-hmm. weeds grow. Don't encourage them. So I think it can, sometimes we have to have a little vacation and give ourselves yeah. some time for our spirits to just recover and start feeling like, like I can walk to the mailbox, like I can Buy groceries again, like you know that when you've been blown to pieces, it just takes a while. But I would say that if we start feeling like we can we can function, and we still can't we still can't feel compassion for the other person, then yes, I think that the problem may be that we haven't been filled with him. Because how did Joseph Smith say it? The nearer we get to our Heavenly Father, the more we are disposed to look on perishing souls with compassion. We want to carry them on our shoulders and throw their sins behind our back. If you would have God have compassion on you, have compassion on one another. So I don't want to cheapen the process and say it's easy, quick, automatic. I would say, however, it is the process. The mm-hmm. process is, is to be filled with His compassion so that we can then offer it to others, while having what might be called self-compassion and recognize that we need patience, we need time to heal, but we ought to also be putting one foot in front of the other and heading towards godliness and goodness and compassion.
0: Yeah, and I I agree, and I and I'll tell you what's coming to mind right now are the words of Dr. Stephen Stosny, author and therapist. He's he's written a lot on compassion, and he says. He's just very direct about it in his own way. He says, well, which feels better, compassion or resentment?
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> and I'll tell you, in my own life, it's like, yeah, I definitely feel better when I feel compassion. That always feels better. I just don't wake up looking forward to resentment. But like you said, if, if it's hard to get there, you're normal. If it's hard yes. to get there, be yes. patient with yourself. Yes, yes. Take as much time as you need. This is not something that we just generate automatically as humans. It's yeah. it's hard. Our wounds are real. But like and you said, it's the way. It's where we have to go ultimately.
1: It's the path. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you know, Jeff, I wonder if if sometimes blame is actually feels better in the sense of it makes us less responsible, but it's not the path of growth, is it? I mean, it's so nice to hate someone else and believe that they're the source of all of our suffering, but if what we really are after is growth, then ultimately forgiveness is the path we must trod if we want to get there. But but we ought to be patient with ourselves along the way. So I think we're, I think we're saying the same thing, aren't we? That
0: yeah, we yeah. shouldn't
1: get impatient and chew ourselves out, but we should confront the reality that we should face squarely towards Jesus and say fix me dear lord
0: yeah absolutely you know i i think about the movies and the stories that move me the most they're not the revenge ones
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah
0: nope i don't, you know, I don't walk
1: yeah <laughs> i know that uh les miserables is one that just you know the bishop's candlesticks when yeah. somebody's stolen from you and you say hey you forgot the candlesticks oh my <laughs> oh. and that's just the way god is i think is that uh You know, we keep injuring him, uh, we keep injuring Jesus, and uh, he keeps saying, that's okay, I can take more. I made an infinite and eternal sacrifice so that I can uh, set you right.
0: Yeah, this is beautiful. So Wally, what else would you say about this? Any other thoughts on it? I know we're, we're getting close to time. I just want to, I guess, wrap this up, summarize it somehow. There's been so much said, and maybe we've covered it all. Just curious if there's anything else you'd like to add.
1: I would just say that it's a joyous process. That when we get to the arms of Jesus and feel healed and loved, when we feel all that compassion flowing into us, then it's not hard work to offer compassion to others. It just flows out as naturally as it flowed in. So, you know, we have kind of reduced the process to one of getting to Jesus, and we both recommended patience and uh, wisdom along the path. But I really think he is the uh, one who heals.
0: And when we're filled with Him, we'll be wise as well, and we'll be safe, right? Like I, I think we'll be able to have that harmless as a dove, wise as a serpent balance. Yes. Because I don't think He wants us to get injured again. I don't believe that He would put us in harm's way. I just believe that, yeah. Like my wife's uncle, we'll be protected. We'll we'll have wisdom. We'll have yes. We'll have strength. We'll have healing. It's just it's just so automatic and so reflexive for us to just self-protect. And I mean, I'm guilty of that as well. And and so I love this. I love that this is an invitation to a different way that I think will help all of us. You know, it ties into the other episode on happiness. I think it'll just alleviate a lot of our heaviness and suffering. And it's, oh, it takes a long time in some cases. It's okay.
1: And you know, Jeff, we should say that there are times when a relationship must end, but goodwill should never end. We should always have charity towards all of God's children. And so uh, we may have to protect ourselves, we may have to provide some distance, but when we allow ourselves to be healed, then I think goodwill can be retra- retained, that uh, kindness and compassion for other people. We can become, of course, having been injured, we can become then messengers to others who are currently laying by the side of the road bleeding we can help carry them to healing because we know the process
0: yeah thanks for pointing that out wally because i i always assume that's the case in my head but i think it's important to vocalize that so that listeners who who weren't you know who weren't able to either stay in the relationship or had to leave it most people's it's not their first choice it's generally something that is tragic and yeah and uh, not not necessarily wanted but you're right to not lose that ability to extend that to others and just have that in our in our hearts. That's critical for our own healing and well-being. So, yeah, thank you for that clarification. So, Wally, thank you for, <laughs> for joining job. me. I've, it's just so hard to wrap this up because I feel like we could go for a long time talking about these things. But <laughs> It's always great to talk to you, brother. Likewise. So I'll put uh, links to resources, everyone, of how you can find Wally's stuff, all his writings and resources and colorful books and programs and other things I think you'll you'll definitely be better for it so wonderful so thank you Wally
1: thanks Jeff